All right, we're uh, continuing on in our sermon series uh, on the letter to the churches scattered throughout the land of biblical times from the brother of Jesus, the man we know as James. And I don't know about you, but it's been really real for me so far in examining how James talks about how we claim to live the life of faith and have a reality check in the scriptures of whether that really is true. The things that we say about who we are, does it really match the way that we really live our life before God and before each other? Uh, Ted's going to read us now our scripture this morning from James chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. Taming the tongue. Not many of you should presume to be teachers, my brothers, because you know that we who teach will judge more strictly. We will stumble in many ways. As if anyone is never at fault at what he says, he's a perfect man, able to keep his whole body in check. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest fire, forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole person, sets the whole course of his life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and creatures in the sea are being tamed and have been tamed by man, but no man can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With the tongue we praise the Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing, My brothers, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. Thank you. Publius was a Greek sage, and he wrote these words. I have often regretted my speech but I've never regretted my silence. Or a more contemporary writer wrote, better to remain silent and be thought a fool than to open our mouth and remove all doubt. (laughs) Sometimes the advice of this writer might go, well, look wise, say nothing, and grunt. Or we might be like the characters that you see on your screen this morning from the classic movie Christmas Story. We could have the next slide up there. Maybe if we're not frozen. Hmm. All right, there's a Christmas Story, and there uh, is a part of the story where the kids are out on the playground, and it's freezing cold outside, below zero temperatures. They're out there on recess, and the kids say, I dare you, I dare you to stick your tongue on the pole. 
Remember that? And then it's, you know, it's the old, I double dog dare you, and, and the dares just get worse and worse. I was going to play it on the, on the video, but then they used the curse word, and James says we can't do that. So I just decided to do a picture, but it apparently didn't work out this morning. And so they double dog, triple dog dare him, and sure enough, he sticks his tongue on the pole, and, and it, fr- it freezes there, right? And the bell rings, and all the kids run into the class, and they're all there looking at him, and he's st- standing there. He stuck his tongue out there, and now he's in trouble, and everybody's watching. How many times have you and I done that? We've stuck our tongue out there, we've said something, and now everyone knows. Everyone has heard, and the word gets around, and we're just standing there, and everyone is watching the mess that we've made. James says to be careful if you want to be a teacher, because that kind of stuff happens all the time. And we'll talk a little bit more about that in a few minutes. It's been said that a reason that dogs have so many friends is that he wags his tail much more than he wags his tongue. And that's probably very true for us. We've been sharing together the last number of weeks about our journey through the book of James, and we've been talking about authentic Christianity and what it looks like to not only claim a life of faith, is it up there now? There it is. Okay. Now you know what I'm talking about if you've never seen the movie there. Um, have you ever felt like you've done that with your words, with the conversation? And then you can't, you know, you can't take it back, right? It's like the guy who, who said something to someone that he regrets and he went to his counselor or his pastor and he, and he said, I, what do I do? to make this right. And he says, all right, what you do is you, you take a box of feathers and you go to every, every town and every home in the town and you place a feather on the front porch of every town and then tomorrow you come back to me and we'll talk about it. So he went back the next day and he said, okay, I did it. It took me all night, but I put a, a feather on the front porch of every home in our town. And he says, all right, I want you to go back now and take every feather back that you placed. Well, the wind has blown many of them away, and so has it been with you and I, that the words that we've shared have been like the boys on the playground. We're stuck with it now, and everyone knows exactly what's happening. James is talking about how the rubber meets the road in our Christian life, and sometimes, as believers, we say things that we wish we could take back, but of course we know that we really can never take them back. We can only ask for forgiveness. James has taught us in our study together that he gives us perspective and even hope in the times of trial and trauma. He says we've learned that we can even find peaceful joy in a time of suffering. He's taught us that Christianity, real Christianity, a live, vibrant faith, means that we have victory over temptation, that in every way, every temptation, God has provided a way of escape. He says that we don't play favorites with our faith and that real, authentic Pure religion is that when believers who claim they love prove it by the way they meet the needs of those who have little to nothing in their life. It's where faith meets life's opportunities. And because of the Holy Spirit of God dwelling inside of us, Christ is revealed by our actions. Faith demonstrated as authentic and genuine because we live as Christ Jesus lived when he walked this earth. What a novel idea that the lives of believers God calls upon to match the life of Christ. James continues this heart check, this spiritual gut check of our lives by talking about this area that we've already mentioned this morning. And so we want to just look at three things that he shared in this passage, and there's a lot more. I could preach a series just on these 12 verses 
Um, but we have a potluck to go to, so we're just going to go for one message and then maybe revisit this another time because I feel like I need it. it James says it is so easy to say the wrong thing. You know, when we shared about anger, we said it is, it is quite the man or woman who can be angry at the right person, at the right time, for the right reason, in the right way. Most of the time, we get that all messed up. We're angry at the wrong person for the wrong reason in the wrong way at the wrong time. And we've all been there. James says we all stumble. The, the, this tongue that we've been given by God because of our carnal nature has fallen. And he goes so far as to say that it's set on fire by hell itself. Such is the battle that you and I face in this area of our spiritual life. And I don't want you focused on the turkey dinner or the, or the pumpkin pie. I know that um, Shirley said she went or was going to go to Costco and buy a pumpkin pie. Did you make it there? So there is a massive pumpkin pie out there waiting for us. And now I'm distracted by that. I don't have to apologize by saying that I'm coveting that, though. That's something that I'm looking forward to. But when was, when was the last time you went a week without your words damaging by some, hurting somebody around you? When was the last time you had a conversation and just, you know, I, I read something this week. It says, if you could get 10 cents for every kind word that you said to somebody and five cents you had to give away because of the negative things that you said, would you be rich or poor? And I thought, that's, okay, that, that, that hits me right where I need to be hit. But James quickly this morning does three things that we need to look at together. The first thing, he gives a, a warning, for lack of a better word, to those wanting to be teachers or leaders. Uh, now, in the passage that we're looking at this morning, we think of a teacher, and, and we might think of a school teacher, or we might think of a Sunday school teacher, or we might think of a Bible study leader, we might think of a children's church leader, and, and I don't think that that we need to discount that that's probably included in the list. But in, in the culture of this day, the teacher was, was second in charge in the church, or maybe third, depending on the structure there. It'd be kind of like going to a, a church that had an executive pastor, it had a teaching pastor, and then it had an associate pastor of youth and worship or something. And, and the teaching pastor would be right below in, in authority, below the executive pastor. And so what he's talking about is, is don't just desire to get up there and be a leader and be in charge and, and have that position without thinking about the fact that you're going to have a lot of airtime. And the more that you talk, the greater the chances are you're going to say something wrong. That's probably good for every pastor to read, maybe every week. <laughs> Because we say a lot, we talk a lot at homes, at the hospital, at the grocery store, in the restaurant, in meetings, on Sunday morning, and in, in, in messages. It is just a fact that we have a great responsibility. And James says, be careful to want that because there's a greater accountability because of the greater amount of words that you share. You know, maybe more so in, in our age, in the, in the uh, age of technology than before, uh, because about five minutes or less after the morning message this morning, as long as all of our electronics works right, uh, the sermon from this morning will be posted to our website. And uh, synchronized with that posting will be immediately um, put into a podcast you can get from iTunes. And immediately at the same time, it will also be posted on a separate website, which is the link to soundfaith.com that you guys get in the email on Monday or Tuesday. And within seconds of the message being over, literally millions of people could have access to the words that I say with you right now. And if that isn't a scary thought, I don't know what is. 
James says, be careful to desire that position because there's a greater accountability that goes on when we get to that place. Be careful what you ask for because you might just get more than you bargained for. And so he says, just just a reminder that we all struggle with this. We all make mistakes. We all mess up. And we have to be willing to ask for forgiveness and apologize and, and continue on walking in this journey of faith and Christianity together. I think what James is trying to write is was to a culture that they wanted that power. They wanted that authority. They wanted to be noticed. They wanted to be needed. They wanted to be up front. They wanted to be a part of the action. And so they, they wanted that without thinking through the responsibility that comes with being up front, the responsibility that comes with having responsibility and authority in, in, a, in a meeting of church, and the fact that the things that you say will reflect not only on you, but on the entire congregation around you. And he says, be careful before you get up there, before you go to that place to make sure that your heart is in tune with the Lord. And we're going to talk about a couple of ways that he shares to do that. And then the first one of them is, you'll see it on the screen, is to master your tongue. I think in most Bibles, the heading for this and kind of the message of the sermon was taming your tongue. But he talks very simply about the fact that many things in life are controlled. And yet, for so many, the tongue is one of those things, those small part of the body is in charge of everything else that we do. There's a story, illustration, General Robert E. Lee was asked years ago what he thought of a fellow officer in the Confederate Army. He'd made some pretty mean-spirited remarks about General Lee. Then he was asked about his opinion. It was going to be in the papers. It was going to be out there. Everyone, again, would be listening to the words that he shared. So Lee thought for a moment and rated him as being very satisfactory. The person who asked the question seemed troubled. But General, I guess you don't know what he's been saying about you. Oh, yes, answered Lee, I know. But I was asked of my opinion about him, not about his opinion of me. And James says in those moments where our reputation is on the line and everyone is watching our words, we need to control the tongue this small piece of our body that God has given us that can exude so much power over the words and the people in our life. And so James uses a couple of ideas to help us understand. He says, we put a five-pound maybe bridle into the mouth of a horse that may be 1,500 pounds, 2,000 pounds, and we can control where that horse goes by the five-pound relatively insignificant tool in light of the power of the animal that we're trying to control. And unless you get an animal that hasn't been trained at all, You can tell that horse to go right. You can tell it to go left. You can tell it to go forward. Or if you do the right moves, you can even do it in reverse. Um, If I was to get on a horse right now, I would probably either hurt me or the horse because I haven't been trained in any of that. I have no idea how to do it. And if you get on a horse that's never been trained, you may be in trouble. And I wonder if some of what is underlying what James is saying is that, that as Christians, we're in training with the Holy Spirit. Amen? We give our life to Christ. We surrender our hearts to him. We, we say we're followers of him. And, and just think of the last few weeks about temptation and about suffering, about, about the poor and how, how real Christianity does something for them. And, and it has just cut us to the core of who we are as believers. And we are in training. And James is saying as believers, you need to realize that this is true in the way that you, the way you interact with each other. 
may be a good way for us to think of believers in training today. And we need to be aware of the fact that we need to be involved in greater training with the Holy Spirit. And so it is with, with gusto, with a lot of emphasis that James says, do you know that one thing you say can blow up? Two words spoken at the, right, at the wrong moment to the wrong person at the wrong time will start something that you may never be able to stop. How many of you remember the Eagle Creek fire just east of where we live not that long ago? A couple of innocent teenage kids just trying to have some fun. And 48,000 plus acres later, millions of dollars of damage later, they realize that sometimes even when you're trying to have fun, if it's done in the wrong way, a lot of damage can be inflicted. The judge ruled in that case that he would have to repay the one boy who threw out the fireworks $36 million in damages because of that one decision that he made that he so wishes he could have back. I wonder if you and I can look back in our lives at some of the damage, the things that we've said we wish we could take back. Probably couldn't be measured in dollar amounts, but it could be measured in relationships. It could be measured in distance that we wish wasn't there. It could be measured in kind of this uncertainty person that we don't know what to say or do because we might set them off again or make them upset or, or we hold back because we don't want to say the wrong thing. And we know that we don't put a bridle on our own speech very well, and so we have to remind ourselves of that. One writer wrote that words are like dynamite. If used properly and in the right place, they're beneficial. Used improperly in the wrong place, and they do a lot of damage. And James says, as believers, we are to think about the way we use our speech and ask the Holy Spirit to control. You know, there's nothing you and I can, there's no physical force on this earth that you can come to me and say, hey, pastor, you know, you really shouldn't have said that. That was, you know, I, I always try to be really careful whenever I use my children in as an illustration because I know that that's not their favorite thing. And so I usually try to share something funny or something where, where I could have done better. And I know that if I was to do it differently, then they would probably come to me and say, hey, dad, that was embarrassing or that hurt my feelings or that made me uncomfortable and, and I would have to, all right, Lord, rain. Let's, let's remind ourselves that we need to share things in a way that are pleasing to you and pleasing to those around us. There's no harness that I can go buy at some saddle store. If you were to come to me and say, hey, pastor, I'm really struggling with this. You know, what do you got? I don't have a tack board somewhere with the right tools to just, you know, put something on your mouth other than maybe, you know, a, you know, a piece of duct tape. That's about all I got. And you know how that, maybe you know or don't know how that feels when it ripped off. I do it slowly, I promise. Maybe sometimes that's what we need, but I think what James is trying to say is it's serious stuff. The words that we speak, we can do great good or we can do great harm with just a few words and just the right tone or the right wrong tone. I read somewhere this week that the great Chicago fire of years ago was allegedly started by a single cow kicking over a lantern accidentally in its stall. And I can think of a few times in my life and even ministry where words that I had no idea would ever be construed as anything but kind or helpful came out in a way that I would have never imagined. And a lot of trouble was created by them. I've had people come to me or in a group setting 
and say things that weren't true and tear the church apart. And you've probably been a part of that as well, where things were said at the wrong place at the wrong time in the wrong way and great damage has been done. And James is just reminding us, this is something that the Holy Spirit wants to work with us on. God's never done. He's not finished with you or I. It's just a continued reminder to place ourselves under the guidance and the leadership and the help of the Holy Spirit so that when we have our conversations, when we talk about even things that are hard for us, we can do it in a way that is edifying and, and a blessing to others. Sometimes we get misunderstood or we misunderstood directions. I'm going to share a short story about that. Billy Joe and Bubba were out in the woods hunting. Billy Joe grabs his chest and kneels over and falls to the ground. He can't seem to be breathing and his tongue is hanging out and his eyes are all rolled back in his head. Bubba whips out his cell and when one he says, help, I think my friend here is dead or he's dying, what do I do? The operator in a calm, smooth voice says, okay, calm down, take it easy, I can help. First of all, let's make sure he's dead. So there's a silence on the phone followed by a gunshot. Bubba says, Okay, now what do we do? And sometimes our tongue is just this beast that is out of our control, and we have to relay things back to the original communicator and take stock, number three, of our life. I'm glad that I don't have as good a memory as God, or I could look back on a lot of regrets, and I do about conversations and things that I've said and the way that I've said them that, that I wish I could take back, but I can't. I can only ask for forgiveness and ask for grace and mercy in order to have the Lord help me to move forward. Calvin Coolidge said these wise words, I have never been hurt by anything I did not say. I have never been hurt by anything I did not say. Or Bruce Barton wrote, For good, your conversation is your advertisement of yourself. Every time you open your mouth, you let men look into your mind and into your heart. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 19 says, When words are many, sin is not absent, but he who holds his tongue is wise. James says, All the animals of the, of the world were taming. The birds and the, and the fish and the dogs and the animals and the lions and the tigers, and, and you just look around at the creation around us, and for the most part we have dominion as God commanded us to over the, over the beasts of the field in the fish of the sea. In it, there's one thing that we have such difficulty controlling. What's your first reaction when someone attacks you? Your idea, your plan, your vision, your thought, your creation, or whatever it is, and someone, someone doesn't like it, someone disagrees with it, someone thinks differently than you. What, what is generally your first reaction? Anyone? Okay, we get defensive, right? We, we like, you know, hey, this is about me.
Yep. You ever had someone say to you, I've never been apologized to before? No one but two of us? Wow, I'm really surprised. I, I can't tell you how many times I've heard people say that. Um, that's, that's, um, thank you for sharing that. When you go to the doctor, one of the first, what is one of the first things he asks to see? Your tongue. Stick out your tongue. There was a guy who was a renowned speaker in in the community, he traveled all over the world sharing in multiple languages. He was a well-sought-after speaker, and he just, he, his voice, his throat hurt, didn't feel good. He couldn't really speak well, and so he went to the doctor, and, and the doctor kind of, you know, asked him what was going on and what he'd been doing, and, and kind of looked at it, looked in his ears and his eyes and said, stick out your tongue. And so he stuck out his tongue, and the doctor says, all right, shut your mouth and go home. Come back tomorrow. So he came back tomorrow and kind of did the same thing. And, and he, at the end of the appointment, he said, stick out your tongue. And he stuck out his tongue. And, and he goes, what's wrong with me, doc? He says, you talk too much. Go home and keep your mouth shut for a while and then try it again. And I wonder sometimes if silence isn't the best medicine for you and I, if we're struggling. If it's something that's difficult for us, then and it may just be, say, you know what, right now I can't talk about this. I'm having a difficult time. Pray for me. And uh, we'll come back to this at another time in another way as God does this. James says, just again, as, as taking stock, you know, can a fig tree produce grapes? Can a grape tree produce figs? In, in, in our faith, we think that we can mix anger and Christianity. We think we can mix this attacking defensive lifestyle with a life of faith. And can I tell you, from James' perspective, One little spark can start a fire that you may never be able to put out. I've always asked the Lord in my ministry to help me to be very careful when I speak. Because once those words are out there, I can never get them back again. In a meeting or a conversation or when there's conflict or there's disagreement, it's so easy to say what I want to to say. It's so much more challenging to say what God wants me to say. And James says, pray for help, that the Lord would give you the words that he wants you to say. Just real quickly, before we close, James gets to this idea of, you know, there can be, there can be the kind of believer that, that, that goes to those around them and it is so good to see you. I'm so glad you're part of our church. I love you. And then, and then the next moment, essentially stab you in the back. It says you can bless and curse at the same time. And I love the way he says that. He basically says, it shouldn't be like that. 
That is not the kind of Christianity that God is trying to build in you and in me. We should be supportive and encouraging and blessing each other. And for some reason, as we walk through this journey together, that old tongue, that old enemy, that place in us, sometimes know where it comes from, that tongue that is set in fire that is such a small part of who we are and has so much to do with who we are, comes out and says something that we wish it never been said. And James said it should never be that way. It shouldn't be that way in your life and in mine. And so we have to plead the mercies of God, amen, <laughs> ask for forgiveness from each other and, and ask the Lord for direction. And it may just be that he has somewhere for us to learn in the passage that we looked at this morning. But beyond this realization that having a place of responsibility and power is not something to be considered lightly, because the amount of accountability that we have to all of you, you, know, you guys get to have a conversation after church about the message or about the music or about the food or whatever, and unless you say it really loudly, just one or two or three of you will hear what you say. But I've been talking for the last 30 minutes, and all of you hear every word that I say, and there's a greater sense of accountability in that. But beyond accountability, beyond this realization that we need the Holy Spirit's help is what I continue to think of as an opportunity to go deeper with God than just gut-checking, than just reminding ourselves that we, that we need to watch what we say in the way that we say it, but it is that God is inviting us into a deeper walk with him, a deeper experience where our speech is, is not just controlled, but it is, it, is, it is channeled by the Holy Spirit to be a blessing to those around us. And, and, it, and because it is such a big part of who we are, though it's a small part of our body, it really does change our perspective of the way we live and the way we worship and the way we serve together. So I want to I point us there to that deeper walk with God as I share this, this last story before we close. It's found in a book entitled Jungle Harvest, written by a missionary by the name of Ruby Scott. And she describes in her, in her life an experience of reaching to a people group known as the Tila Indians living in the south jungles of southern Mexico, just north of the Guatemala border. Ruby and her missionary colleague learned their language, translated the Bible in order to give the, the people the scriptures in their own tongue, and even arranged to have the gospel recorded and duplicated so they could be played on little record players that worked by turning a crank. So they could spread the message, even if they lacked another interpreter, they could just record it and send it out on a little record player that you cranked, and so the gospel could be heard that way, kind of like a satellite church with, you know, displaying the message on the screen. One of the men who eventually heard about this message was a witch doctor named Domingo. He was in his mid-50s. He couldn't read or write, but he learned about Christ, and he turned from his old way of life and was amazingly converted. He instantly became burdened for his friends and decided to take the message to them. So he borrowed one of the portable record players, and off he went. His former friends that he hadn't seen in a while because of his change of life were thrilled to see him. They laughed and talked and reminisced about the good old days. Then Domingo opened up the record player and watched with great curiosity as they all began to listen together. After playing some of the scriptures, Domingo told them that God had turned his heart around and shared his testimony with them and preached the gospel to them as best he could. They were angry and skeptical and said, how can you who have experienced the power and authority of a witch doctor turn your back on the very gods who have chosen you? They argued with him and threatened him, but he remained calm and preached Jesus to them. Finally, his friends grabbed their machetes and ordered him to leave. 
He hastily closed the phonograph and slipped the records into his carrying bag. Swinging the machine on his back, he turned sadly and started down the trail. But he was so burdened and so upset that he felt he had to make just one more try. So he turned back and made one more word for Christ. In great anger, one of the men raised the machete and aimed it at his phonograph machine. Instinctively, he protected the machine, and the machete was thrown, slicing off three of his fingers. Wrapping it in a shirt, he hurried away back to the village where Ruby was there to care for his wounds. Two days later, as they cared for the stumps of what was left of his fingers, she finally got him to tell his story about how this injury had happened. As he told the story, he had a long pause at the end, and he looked in her eyes with tears and said, those poor men, God's message just didn't grab their hearts. I'll go back and I'll tell them again. Even after all the hurt and all the pain that they caused him with perfect intentions, his heart was drawn to the needs of those who were lost. In her book, Ruby Scott wrote that she stayed awake a long time that night, staring into the dark and thinking of Domingo's crippled hand and of his quiet words, I'll go back and tell them again. She thought of the time she had failed to witness to her friends, the time she had grown discouraged with her witnessing, the time she'd failed to go back and tell them again. And she wrote, I turned over and I struggled to my, she'd been laying down, struggled to her knees in the cramped confines under my mosquito net, and I rededicated my life to God. And I asked him to make me as faithful a missionary as this humble, illiterate, former witch doctor. Friends, you and I have so much power at our disposal for good, for God's glory, for God's benefit, for God's purposes, for God's design. There is so much hanging on the words that come out of our mouth. It may be at fellowship around the Thanksgiving um, potluck table. It may be in a meeting that we have together. It may be on the street corner with someone who we've never met before, living out the rest of what James has already called us to do. And as we follow the pattern of God's design for us, as James describes it, moving from handling difficulty to dealing with temptations to reaching out to the needy. And then he comes to this place where it's like everything that we do from, from there to here and beyond, it focuses on how we handle this part of our life. And I think that we would all honestly say this morning that we've said things that we regret in some way and form. And may the Lord, Holy Spirit, forgive us for those. And may he use us to be a source of blessing to those around us. Who's he calling us to go back to? Let's stand together as we think about those words just for a few seconds. You know, sometimes we've been hurt by the words of someone else around us. And we're like, you know what, I'm done. I'm done with them, I'm done with trying, I'm done with any, I'm, I'm just done. And I'm not going to do this anymore. And the Holy Spirit is saying to you this morning, go back to them. <laughs> it may feel like you've lost a few fingers, or you've lost an arm or a leg, and the Holy Spirit says, but you have the words of life, and I'm sending you back. Holy Spirit, we ask this morning that you would just illuminate our minds and our hearts to this amazing opportunity that we have to share the love of God by, by our words. Share the patience of God by, by maybe not saying anything at all. It may just be that we show the temperance that God gives us because of the way that we have self-control when things aren't 
going right or sounding right in a conversation or a meeting or between two people in a marriage or between children and parents or between friends at school or people at work. We're so quick to the defensive, so quick to, to go back on the attack. And Lord, that's, that's not the way you guide us. That's not the way you chasten us or lead us. And Lord, we just pray for the opportunities that we have today. The opportunities that we're going to have the rest of the week that's to come to be a source of blessing to those around us, to be an encouragement, to be, to be a source of blessing, to be someone who comes alongside and share love. And Lord, it may be we feel like we're going with a few missing fingers. I pray for the strength, Lord, to go back, to tell them about your love and about your forgiveness. Lord, this is, this is so difficult for many of us is because, because we're hurt. We get hurt. We cause hurt. And it's just, life is hard and messy. And I just pray, Lord, that you would give us all the courage to ask for forgiveness, to give forgiveness, and to go back and to share your love with those ones that you lead us to. I just ask your blessing upon the rest of our day, upon the potluck to follow, and upon our fellowship, Lord. May you fill us with your love and presence, and may many hear about your love through our lives, and through our speech. And we'll give you the praise and thanksgiving in your wonderful name. Amen. Well, we won't be having coffee and fellowship because of the potluck to follow, so I just encourage you to make your way back as the Lord